Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, hello, Gunner. So I am really excited that I have uh, two really good friends uh, from the industry uh, to join us to talk about some really awesome technology uh, that they invented. And it's it's pretty mind blowing. So uh, you know, uh, probably want to sit down while you're listening to this and, and uh, uh, turn off the lights and, and uh, just try to visualize what they're talking about, because we've got some really smart guys that are going to walk us through this really cool technology. So what? who we have today, we have Hassan Khan and Dan Tolliver. Uh, they are from a company called TotaQ, and they're going to tell us all about this really awesome technology in terms of uh, uh, containerization of, of uh, assets and asset tracking and, and um, all kinds of things like that. So welcome, guys, to the show. Thank you, David. David. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start off with Hassan. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and, and how did you get to uh, uh, where you are today at, at this uh, juncture? Um, uh, I, I think the, the short, glib, one-word story is, is practice, right? Uh, but that one has already been taken. Uh, I'm a Canadian, David, and uh, originally did computer engineering, though I cannot claim to be an engineer anymore uh, mm -hmm. for at least the last uh, 20 years. Um, I spent the first decade and a half in the Canadian military. I was what they called a signal officer. So everything, mm -hmm. cyber, crypto, electronic warfare, IT, telecom. And my teams would run all the systems, right, um, from the, the physical stuff all the way on up, uh, just to make sure that uh, all of our teams and forces could communicate. Mm -hmm. uh, and did that in Canada, as well as overseas in places like Bosnia, Herzegovina, and others. Uh, it's a fantastic career. Uh, and I'd say actually during that time, you know, if we thought about security and the whole confidentiality, integrity, availability, it was really confidentiality, confidentiality uh, and availability that was like the obsession, right? Uh, I wouldn't go to sleep at night because mm -hmm. you always want to have all the systems up and going. Uh, it meant that, you know, if a first responder or a soldier in the field pressed the button on their radio, they mm -hmm. absolutely have to be able to connect back to whomever they talk to because uh, it could be life and death. Mm -hmm. So around 2009, I left, uh, spent some time consulting, uh, including with McKinsey and Company, uh, and did that for four or five years. And that was a moment at which I realized that uh, unlike the world I'd come from, where you assumed everyone within your network you know, was all on your the blue forces, your side, um, you know, integrity uh, of both uh, individuals as well as data was a real issue. It was a very different world from the military. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it progressively got more difficult over time with the explosion of data and complexity, right, of our, of our digital world. So I left consulting around 2015, went into building businesses, right, to try and solve a bit of the problem around uh, both integrity uh, as well as democratizing access, right, for everybody, both Main Street as well as those that had huge companies and, and resources. So uh, built a first company called Quantius. Uh, and that was really designed to help, you know, all the innovative small, medium businesses where they build super cool things on the medical side and telecom and, you know, clean mining technology and all kinds of stuff. So basically, uh, Quantius was a lending company, but designed to look at the intellectual property, the software, the data of these companies and treat it the same way a normal lender would look at physical assets, property, plants, equipment. That was a bit of a nutty idea, but great team, uh, wonderful investors. We built a platform, ran it for three years straight, 
uh, won some awards from the Canadian Hedge Fund Awards. Uh, and then they, the team and the platform uh, exited last year to the Business Development Bank of Canada. Uh, and they're running Canada's National IP Innovation Fund. Uh, and um, yeah, that's like it's kind of like a global first, uh, which was very, very cool. But that was attempt number one of trying to introduce technology that could look at digital things and treat it the same way as the old brick and mortar world treated physical things. Uh, mm -hmm. And Toda Q started almost concurrently with Dan and an even larger amazing team uh, was attempt number two. Uh, I'll sort of stop my, my intro there. But that was a bit of, you know, sort of where I came from uh, and sort of the why, which was really around saying, how do you make sure both Main Street and Wall Street has the same access, the same ownership rights, same ability to trade? Uh, mm -hmm. And how do you make sure we can do that with integrity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So, so Dan, how about you? Uh, how did you get to this point? <laughs> yeah, thanks, David. Uh, it's a great question. You know, when I'm in business meetings, uh, or even technical meetings, I guess, my, my typical kind of five-second answer to that is, or to my intro, I guess, is that I've been a software developer for 25 years and uh, you know, co-founder of TotaQ, co-author of the Tota Protocol, etc. Mm -hmm. um, but you mentioned uh, beforehand that you wanted to kind of dig into some of the human aspect of this a little. So maybe that gives me an excuse to talk about a side of things that I don't usually get a chance to talk about in those other meetings, yeah. which is actually the, the community work. Um, so for probably the first 15 or so years of that, 25-ish years as a software developer, I, I mostly was, uh, it was mostly really just me and a computer, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in in a cubicle or an office or, or on my couch or wherever, sort of bonding the, the computer and the human into one mm -hmm. uh, and, and writing a lot of interesting software and solving a lot of interesting problems, but, you know, spending sometimes literally weeks without talking to another human, which I think is a pretty common thing over this last year. So a lot of people have experienced this. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. And then about 10 years ago, I, my wife and I moved up to Toronto from New York City. Mm -hmm. And um, fairly shortly after that, was involved in starting one of the very first co-working spaces here in Toronto, mm -hmm. uh, which was called Bento Miso. It's now called Gamma Space. Uh, and helped build up a community there and started uh, running technical events for software engineers um, and started building up communities of uh, of developers. So um, I was one of the founders of Toronto JavaScript, which is now close to 10,000 members. Um, Toronto, uh, I ran the Toronto Haskell group for a while, which was on the other end of the spectrum. Our average meeting was about, I think, five people. Mm -hmm. uh, Closure, um, the, the Toronto Closure group, uh, computer science reading group, a whole bunch of others. I, I ran probably, I think I've done probably close to a thousand meetings. Um, wow with developers. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. Um, and so, you know, when things started appearing like decentralized technology, but also things like WebRTC and, and these other ways of, of communicating with each other and of maintaining state and of building systems that didn't require kind of this classic hub and spoke model of the web where, you know, we've got a server and then you've got a bunch of clients that are talking to it, which is also the model of old mainframe software with terminals and mm -hmm. the model of most distributed systems throughout time, because doing anything else, frankly, is fairly hard. Uh, mm -hmm. 
you've got a hard coordination problem as soon as you move away from the hub and spoke model. Um, but when technology like that started coming out, it, it was very exciting to me, um, both from a pure technology perspective, but also from the perspective of using this to solve problems of community organization, for instance. So, mm -hmm. you know, one of those problems is if you, if you have a community and your community is not primarily in person, then where where do you meet like you you have some online place that your community exists that exists on slack or it exists on reddit mm -hmm. but then actually what you're really saying is that this one building or this one server um is is our community like everything about your community is there in reddit mm -hmm. you can't take that and move it to a different building or mm -hmm. a different system you know you're stuck there mm -hmm. And trying to understand how to get around that, um, and and how to how to move past these limitations of having our our things, so our our digital things, but also our digital identities and our communities, uh, stuck inside of the systems that are provided by generally these very large corporations because. Often they're the only ones who can support the burden of providing those solutions for a large community. Mm -hmm. This has been a pretty pressing problem for a long time. And, and it has a lot of ramifications uh, because it means that subtle changes to the mechanisms that those large service providers are making dramatically impact the communities that mm -hmm. are whose, whose entire essence is inside of that system and they can't get it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So about uh, six years ago, you know, working on some of these things led to uh, Tufi Saliba and I working together and then uh, working on what, what became TOTA. Uh, and then about a year after that, so this was probably five years ago, we met Hassan. Uh, shortly after that, we started TOTA Q together. And I guess the rest is history. Hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of, you know, like... Uh it's just like it goes back to society now too of of like um the you look at social media of like the social media uh people are policing content and then they also um well i guess they feel responsible or they're made responsible for policing the content because they are that hub that right. they got to track of things but the other side of it is that somebody gets mad at you um, you get kicked out and you have nowhere to go. And there are plenty of bad people that have been kicked out and it's a good thing. Right. But um, I always worry about uh, vendor abandonment where, yeah. 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 And, and so, um, you know, when you get so tied into one type of technology or another and um, you know, there is, you know, people joke about uh uh, was it Thomas Watson? And I think it was in the 1940s. He said, there's probably room for five or six computers in the world. Right. And I think he's right because those computers are AWS, Google, uh, Azure, you know, and, and just, and then the, um, you know, you have a, a long tail of other clouds, but, um, but, you know, you have this consolidation and if you, you know, you, you have to, if you do something that's, um, unpopular uh you you could easily get um booted off and have to look for a new home that's right yeah and in some ways it's it's even worse than that like 
the the physical analogy of what you've just said is that you have some community that's meeting in some building so we can think mm -hmm. of the system as providing the building and if you get kicked out of that building you've got to go and find another building but actually the digital equivalent is much worse than that like mm -hmm. i i would be okay with with that version of this where you know if, if you if you make a mess of the building and you get kicked out of the building then you have to go find somewhere else to have your meetings that mm -hmm. makes sense to me what doesn't make sense to me is that in the digital version your existence as a member of that community and in fact all the ties of that community to each other and in fact all the content that that community has created in terms of talking to each other and everything else they've ever done is in that building and you cannot take it away it's right up. even if right. you take the data away you can't take away the the asset itself because that that is just a row in their database mm -hmm. and so the integrity of of that thing of that row in the database is dependent on that system itself this isn't just about information. This is about digital things, which only exist if there is integrity involved. And the integrity for digital things today is predicated on that thing staying in the system that it was created in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no way around that. So anything that you do in that building is stuck in that building, including forming relationships with other people, which is absurd. Right. Well, and one of the things that, that, that maybe uh, that compounds this is, so, you know, you've got these five, the five big computers of the world and a bunch of sub things, right? And things are now behind these walled gardens. Mm -hmm. uh, so then there's two other things that are going on. Uh, the first is that you've fragmented agency and responsibility and who's actually accountable for things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you ask the question and said, fine, I have a community whose, uh, whose data, whose identity, whose activities are now trapped and controlled behind the walled garden. Uh, and you ask the simple question of saying, well, who's making the decisions, whether it's a person or an algorithm, uh, you're going to go down a very winding, complicated, ambiguous path, even to get half decent answers. Mm -hmm. um, so those things compound on top of, you know, I think the, the very thing that you're talking about and observing that make doing anything about it very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well, let's, let's bring this back to, uh, to Toda and and Dan, how it's uh, what what is it and and why why did you invent it? Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, those are both very good questions. In some ways, that first question is 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 a really hard one to answer uh, in the sense that answering what is Toda is this kind of ongoing challenge for the last five years. I think mm -hmm. what is this thing? Uh, there's obviously a philosophical interpretation to it, and that's the hard part. The, the technical part is actually in some ways easier. Um, so what, what Toda is ultimately is really just a data structure. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a data structure that, you know, we sometimes refer to it as a cryptographic proof structure, but, um, but I'm guessing that a lot of people who listen to your show probably are familiar with data structures and aren't familiar with, you know, Merkle trees and cryptographic proof structures. So if we think of it as just a data structure, maybe that's simpler. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't a system description. In, in fact, it's the opposite of that. It's just a data structure description. And it tells you what this data structure must contain in order to be a well-formed, syntactically well-formed proof of provenance data structure or a POP. Mm -hmm. uh, and a well-formed POP has this very particular guarantee, which is that if you show me a well-formed POP, if you send that information to me, and I go through and syntactically validate that it is in fact a well-formed proof of provenance, then I know at that point that the 
that the information that you have showed me that is connected to that pop has integrity, by which I mean three things. One is that it has consistency. So if you had changed anything, I would immediately know that you would change something. Two, it has uh, completeness. So if you had left something out, I would immediately know that you've left something out. And three, it has uniqueness. And this is the tricky one. Those first two are relatively easy, uh, which means that if in the past you had shown Hassan some other version of this than the one that you had showed me, and it was well-formed for him, then this one could not be well-formed for me. So you couldn't have done that. And then secondly, it means that uh, you cannot in the future show Hassan some other version of this that is well-formed for him, having shown me this well-formed version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it has both, it, it tells us something about the past and it tells us something about the future. What it says is that this is the only well-formed version of this. There, there cannot be another up to whatever our security assumptions are. But again, because we're not defining a system, we're not actually, uh, those security assumptions are a system level construct. They are not a proof structure level construct, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if I add a layer on top of that and give the, uh, let's say a business language version of it, mm-hmm. and say, okay, what would we apply this thing to? And let's say we call this data structure in this pop let's define a new kind of container, right? So not a application or microservice or Linux container for software, but a total file container for data or assets. And that could be anything, right? It could be your identity. It could be a dollar. Uh, It could be the set of documents that make up the ownership of a supply chain good or a valuable asset. It could be a loyalty point. The sky is the limit uh, of any file type or anything. So if we go and stick that thing inside this Totafile container, then we get some very cool properties that in the regular world and in business and in markets are very valuable, right? Because that thing becomes immediately verifiable by anyone uh, who's inspecting it right then and there, no matter what system they're on. They don't need to go and query back to however many databases sitting behind walled gardens somewhere else. that container then also becomes self-tracking because within that pop, it knows in the past who's owned it or who has done things to it. So it's almost like you you got a physical library book and you pulled up the card in the back and you can mm-hmm. read down it and you have this immutable, uh, completely verifiable list of you know everyone who'd gone and signed it out. Uh, that's super valuable too. Uh, on top of it, Around it, you can even write in simple rules, right? So that Totafile container, let's say you went and shoved some company stock in there and it says, hey, I can only be owned by an accredited investor, right? And those accredited investors have to have their credentials as accredited investors also wrapped in a similar structure, right? And then the two things kind of tie together. Mm-hmm. So you end up now with these immutable, verifiable, self-tracking things that can be transferable peer-to-peer across any system. Uh, And what that does, like just tactically, like in the short term, you think of all the cost that is around settlement, reconciliation, audit, due diligence, validation, right? All that middle and back office just, you know, it's it's a hell of a lot of work, but it's a lot of churn, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Of all the things that we own and transact in markets. Well, a lot of that is now happening down at the layer of this data structure or this pop, and it's getting taken mm-hmm. care of. Um, and that's kind of what I'd call the first, it's certainly not the only one, but it's like 
you know, where, where, when we went out, where did the, the business and the market community immediately look at it and say, aha, right? Um, in terms of getting a lot more efficiency or more verifiable trust, right? Out of how we do business, that's one of the immediate places that jumped out. Okay. And so when, when I first heard about Toda uh, and I was learning about it, I was like, oh, this is like a blockchain thing. And, and, isn't really, uh, but it probably has a similar math, right? But maybe, maybe for those that understand blockchain, is it? Can you compare and contrast? Sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, so, a, a blockchain describes a system for maintaining the state of assets. It's it's a ledger or a database, mm-hmm. uh, and it allows you know, a, a large number of nodes to contribute to that maintenance. Um, and this is a way of balancing the cost and the risk of that particular system. So uh, depending on where that balance is set, the, the system may have a large amount of cost, but then uh, be able to mitigate a large number of risks as a result of having that large cost. And if we look at, you know, a proof of work system like Bitcoin, that's exactly what it does. It has a very high cost to run it. But as a result of that cost, it manages to mitigate quite a lot of risk. On the other hand, there's, a, there's an inherent drawback to this, which is that any given system is going to have some cost-risk balance, and that balance is going to be tuned for particular use cases. And if you try to use the assets that have been created within that system for other use cases, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So it... You, you cannot efficiently buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin and you never will be able to for the simple reason that Bitcoin as a system is not tuned for you to be able to do that. Uh, it, it has too much cost per transaction for you to be able to buy a cup of coffee with it efficiently. On the other hand, if it was tuned for you to be able to buy a cup of coffee, then they wouldn't have all of that, that cost to be able to provide the risk mitigations that they do provide. And so this is true of any system. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, Dan, and add on, like from that perspective, you know, some of the things we found that was going on in the market, you know, when, when blockchain went out, was that because it was a system, you always run into the problem that up and down a supply chain or across a market, not everybody is going to agree, right, uh, to get onto your system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether there's a technology reason for it or it's just market competitiveness, uh, or maybe just even bullheadedness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're always going to have multiple systems. Uh, you can't have one ring to rule them all. So mm-hmm. what you need is a way of transferring assets and the trust and integrity with them across multiple systems mm-hmm. uh, without assuming that, hey, we're going to get everyone onto our thing, right? And then the world is going to be wonderful. That's never going to exist. It never has in all our thousands of years of history. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, you know, I almost look at Toda as being a bit orthogonal to that. You can go and wrap an asset, right, in this POP and this Toda file container that's sitting on a blockchain. And once you've done that, uh, it can leave that system and, you know, go jump onto an ERP system sitting on the cloud and then onto a third thing. Yeah. Uh, but as it starts jumping yeah. across from one system to another, it's bringing all that trust and integrity with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's again where you end up with massive efficiency with that interoperability right across everything. Yeah, and so you can think of Toad as a as a way for 
asset creators, people who are making new digital things, to imbue their digital things with superpowers. It's a superpower to break out of this, this sort of almost paradox that binds you to a small set of use cases, regardless of which system you, you pick for your assets to be expressed in, you can only meet the use cases that that particular system is tuned to meet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but when you express your assets in Toda using this data structure, then they can go into any system. And so whoever owns that can put it in a different system in order to be able to use different use cases. We, we do the same thing with paper all the time. So if you have you know, a $10 bill, you can put that in your pocket and go and efficiently buy a cup of coffee. Your pocket in this case is a system. You could replace that with your mobile phone, which is sort of an equally uh, fallible system in some sense. Mm -hmm. But if you have a lot of $10 bills, you don't want to carry those around in your pocket. You want to put those somewhere more secure, maybe a safety deposit box or something. So again, that's a system that has higher cost, but it also has better risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. But using a $10 bill out of a safety deposit box to pay for a cup of coffee doesn't make a lot of sense. But also carrying around a lot of $10 bills in your pocket doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, if you have a million of them in your pocket, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You don't have the right risk mitigation around that. And yeah. so by, by creating assets that uh, can maintain their integrity as they move between systems, you then allow asset creators to give anyone who owns that asset, and in some sense, give the asset itself this superpower, which is they're not, that they're not constrained to the system that you, the asset creator, chose to first express those in. They can choose the system that they want, and then they get the cost-risk balance that they need for the use case that they want to engage in. Okay. Okay. One of the amazing things, actually, is that if I think about you know the first use cases, right, where Toto is going... Uh, into action, right? Uh, buy an end customer. Um, with all our things that we care about, right? Whether it's food or, you know, the materials that make up batteries or our cars or clothing or, you know, what have you. You've got this incredibly long, like, global supply chains, right? Mm -hmm. so you buy a piece of clothing or, or something from the grocery store and all the things that went into it sometimes went around the world multiple times, right? Before <laughs> you actually picked it up off the shelf. Um, and there's increasingly things that, you know, the consumer market cares about, right? Uh, is this thing actually of the quality that you're talking about, right? Was it produced ethically or, you know, in a sweatshop? Um, when you said that it was clean, was it really, you know, sort of environmentally clean with a low carbon footprint uh, mm -hmm. or was it not? And in order to get that integrity and that proof of it over to the end buyer for whatever that happens to be, as you know, from raw material to processing to then manufacturing and assembly to then distribution and a warehouse and finally getting to whoever's going to buy it. You know, we've got these multiple steps that happen. Um, and the, the powerful effect of being able to provide kind of ubiquitous interoperability, mm -hmm. but crush the cost of them saying, you know what, even if it did come from a farm half a world away, Right, and it went around the world three times, and now you're buying something in a jar. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter, right? You can pick that up and at least have verifiable evidence to say, yes, this is actually the farm it came from, and you know this is the route it went, and this is who touched it, uh, and on all of those other kind of pieces. Um, one of the things, though, that we had to solve is that as we went along with this, even with those Totafile containers, 
you always ended up with a challenge, a second challenge, where the different organizations using different technological systems had to do some kind of integration, right, so that they could talk. Um, and that was also another big portion of cost and another big portion of friction. So one of the things that happened that Dan and Adam and you know, sort of the entire team had kind of worked on was a second application protocol called ADOT uh, mm-hmm. in order to provide what I'll call uh, ubiquitous high-speed uh, transaction rails so that you didn't need to do that integration. If you had two parties and they had these kind of containerized, you know, verifiable assets that acted like self-tracking physical things, they could just meet and trade and not have to go through that stuff. Um, and that was an application protocol, right? Same layer as HTTP. So mm-hmm. another layer of the web, uh, except one that was peer-to-peer uh, and designed to handle ownership management and peer-to-peer trade of valuable things. Um, Dan, I don't know if you want to jump into that one a little more, um, but that's the ADOT side of it. All right, so I, I'm, I'm getting this. So we got our uh, TOTA standard. We got, we got the ADOT uh, protocol lined up. How does this go from you know theory into code into product? How how does that you know how do you guys translate that into something that that people can get a hold of? Yeah, it was um, the strength of Toda and ADOT was you can use it for almost anything. You you pick a sector in a market, there is typically a wide scale application use and value. That was also a bit of a curse and a challenge in the beginning because. We went and you know talked to 20 different customers, and they all wanted to do 20 different things, and all of them were possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could get complicated really quickly. So the route we went in order to build one set of products that could serve everything, uh, but then keep life relatively simple, was on the Tota side. The uh, first software product uh, that we built is called Tota as a Service. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a software platform exposed through API, uh, a SaaS-based model. And what that allows um, is for cloud companies, uh, tech multinationals, integrators, business solutions providers to basically take this piece of middleware, uh, integrate it up into their end-user systems or mobile applications uh, that then allow them to containerize uh, you know, using Toda any of the assets like identity or whatever else that are being managed or transacted across those systems, right? So now you just create one thing uh, and everybody uses it, right? Uh, And we just have one kind of customer, uh, which is ultimately a company or organization that's employing developers, right? That are building end user solutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that part was great. And then on the ADOT side, it was the same thing, right? Uh, Basically to create ADOT server-based software uh, as well as a, just basically do that, which allows exactly the same company and customers to do the same kind of thing, right? Except in this case, what they're doing uh, is building, you know, like uh, rooms and spaces and transaction rails on top mm-hmm. of this new web so that they can then transact these containers really easily. Uh, okay. And that was it. So that was what I call uh, step one. And what we ended up doing is with our first customers starting in end of 2018 and really 2019, was running the first proof of concepts, right? So we were running supply chain trials between Spain and the Middle East for downstream oil and gas parts, 
we ran an ed tech trial uh, with GEMS Education, the world's largest education company, where we were doing the same thing for student credentials uh, and mm-hmm. learning materials on top of a digital mobile app uh, and you know, doing that. So all of these kind of POCs worked and that allowed us to build up the stability, the scalability of all those software systems to really be enterprise ready. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage became, okay, great. Now we have proof of life, right? Can actually look on the ground, can see the theory, we can see the product and can see how it actually uh, runs out on the ground, which was quite easy. Uh, you know, we had a few very cool metrics as we went along where uh, we ran a number of hackathons, Cambridge University down in Silicon Valley. And we're finding that as an example, even for a first year computer science or computer engineering student, they were building functioning apps on top of the software within 24 hours. Wow. Um, so it was not a high burden to say, you know, how do I take this capability uh, and harness it into my own solution, my own mobile apps? Uh, you know, that wasn't uh, too difficult. But then we really got to the next stage of saying, all right, well, that's a good start. Now, how do we get this everywhere, right? How do we give it to everyone, uh, whether it's Wall Street or Industrial Street or Main Street? Uh, and use it to bring down some of these digital walled gardens um, mm-hmm. that are really holding a lot of markets back. So, uh, so okay, so we've got the products. Those are some really good examples. Can, can you go into, I'm sure you have a bazillion examples from the proof concepts that you said to the art of the possible and everything, but, you know, tell us, tell us some stories about what, what are some of your favorite use cases that will be that light bulb for everybody listening. Um, I'm not sure what we'd like, but I'll talk about a few. Um, so, so one that everybody has to deal with is garbage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I certainly didn't think that garbage would be one of our mainstream implementations uh, in the beginning, but it actually turned out to be a pretty cool use case. Um, the, the country of Saudi Arabia has a goal to recycle most of their national garbage. They have 15 million tons a year, and I think pretty much every country. Uh, has waste that runs into the millions or tens of millions of tons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all waste gets produced, transported, recycled. Uh, and then there's an offtake market, right? Recovered uh, commodities, metals, uh, carbon credits, things like that. Uh, so in this case, the uh, enterprise systems, as well as the mobile apps that a truck driver would use or a facility operator or a waste site operator, uh, were just powered with this technology. So that the identity and credentials of those operators, uh, the waste itself, uh, the equipment people were using like trucks, uh, all of those became sort of containerized uh, digital things uh, that had their own integrity. Uh, mm-hmm. And what it was doing was enforcing an awful lot of efficiency and trust mm-hmm. up and down a complex supply chain where nobody really trusts each other, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's a reason why in most municipalities or regions where there's garbage services operating, they say it's a dirty business for more reasons than what. Right. Um, so this is bringing in a lot of transparency and honesty. Um, another interesting example, uh, and this is one that is in the design and build stage, is looking at the horse market. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I didn't know. Like we've learned a ton about the different uses that our customers had for this thing. And it was in places that you know, we didn't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the horse market is $300 billion globally, right? And that's probably evenly split across, um, recreational horse riding, uh, a lot of the show jumping and 
you know, sort of, uh, you know, display kind of things of horses as well as racing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just looking at its overall kind of, you know, industry and revenue list. So in this particular case, this is on the racing side. So one of the things that's being done with this project is um, the horse passport, right? So if you think of its identity and credentials. Uh, and so one of the big issues here is, and, and I think, one of the first places like trying to solve trust, right, with trade uh, was with horse trading, right? And I think there's more than a few anecdotes and saying about horses and, you know, horse traders and, and things like that. But by doing a total containerization of the horse identity, when you start asking questions and saying, you know, what were the, the genetics and the lineage kind of the horse and the stable it was raised in and, you know, the vet treatments and what was the performance on the race course and all that kind of good stuff. Um, imagine being able to look at that and say, hey, um, out of all the things I have to worry about when buying a horse, um, I've now got 80% of that that I can verify in seconds. And sure, there's going to be a bunch of other work that's left, um, but man, has it made life uh, a lot simpler and more secure. Um, but we could just keep going down a list of dozens of things. But yeah, garbage and horses to start, why not? <laughs> yeah, the garbage and horses. So, but but I think even especially the garbage one, like I can imagine on you know, the two ends of the the spectrum, the garbage and the horses, where the horses are like that high value asset right. that um, is the thing that um, you would go to the safe deposit box and pull a lot of ten dollar bills out. Where whereas with garbage, it's the kind of thing that is very very low value and so the transaction costs have to be very low is that is that a fair statement yeah there's an enormous amount of variety right like to your point garbage not worth very much which means your solution has to be extremely efficient right yeah. because it's not like you can afford a lot of costs to be able to track and trace garbage but right. you do need a certain amount of performance from your system because if you get it wrong or the garbage is hazardous, right? It can have serious, like let's say downstream health effects because you know it was dumped somewhere where there's a community or it wasn't treated properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the horse side, that again is particularly interesting because some horses are worth you know 5,000 bucks and other horses, not very many of them are worth like 10 million. Um, and that gives you a massive spread of what kind of things have to be solved because if you're transacting a horse that's worth millions versus a horse that's worth 5,000 and you know it's just a baby or maybe, it, maybe it's kind of slow, right? Um, mm. it, it's very, very different. And then there's things in the middle, right? So as an example, we have another project where we are uh, tracking and tracing uh, battery grade uh, spherical vein graphite uh, mm. from a great little Canadian uh, miner called Atomic. Um, but that is an extremely important industry and piece of the electric vehicle and electric battery market. Um, mm-hmm. So there, in terms of to say, hey, here is a extremely important strategic commodity, right, for the next five, ten, you know, twenty years for lithium ion and electrical vehicle batteries. Was it mined properly, right? Does it have the quality and all of those other things that are needed? Uh, was it produced with a low carbon footprint? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, down on the site, was it properly permitted and licensed? And, you know, you have the, the employees and the team there that, you know, everyone is kind of being treated and all about those things done well. The buyers or the market could look and have a ton of these questions. So it becomes important as well for the capital markets to be able to answer those questions efficiently. So, yeah, it, it's, 
it's such a diverse spread of things. Um, but I think overall, because the technology is so efficient, it kind of allows you to handle all of them sort of with and saying, sure, yeah, we can do that. What would you like to do? Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, so as we uh, land the plane here, um, you know, you're mentioning uh, asset container files and, and we're throwing containers around and our audience is, I'm sure that they heard the, the trigger word container in their ears. Perk up. Um, what yeah. is, is, uh, Maybe uh, like just a uh, for fun fun fact, um, you guys are doing a lot with OpenShift, right? That's right. Yes, that's very, that's uh, that's very exciting. I think that's where the the conversation with uh, you know sort of Red Hat and all that started. Um, yeah. For you know, from our perspective, right, the the technology underneath is something that should and must be open sourced and given to the world, right? Uh, and on top of that, TotaQ is building systems that provide a ton of value add. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a, there's a business and a revenue model and a lot of value for customers, right, that can be realized from it. Mm -hmm. But the question then becomes that this is something that the entire world could benefit from. So how do you get it out to everybody, right? Because if you keep doing these, projects and sectors and industries at a time well that's a necessary way to start um, but you could be at it a long long time so on the side of openshift in terms of looking at you know red hat's history and lineage right uh on the side of linux and, and looking at the open source thing there's one part where we kind of deliberately looked at that and said we believe that this is a, a naturally aligned partnership in terms of you know where the potential could be Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other part was then saying, okay, well, now that we've gone and created the first step into the market, right? You know, enterprise-ready software systems that can provide the TOTA and ADOT capability, right, uh, to customers. Now, how do we step it up a notch, right, uh, mm -hmm. and provide the software developers and users the TOTA ADOT capability within a larger one-stop shop platform? right? That can work in a multi-cloud and hybrid cloud environment. And as you keep asking these questions, and then you say, okay, well, if that's what's important to you, where are you going to go? You're going to end up with, you know, a large segment of the technology world, and you're very quickly going to whittle down. Uh, and one of the places where you end up is uh, OpenShift, right? Because, you know, uh, as I look at it, you've got a you know, sort of an all-in-one platform that packs in and says, great, you've got your uh, enterprise Linux, uh, you have your, you know, Linux kind of container platform, you have a whole bunch of other tools and widgets and features and things that are exposed. So as a, uh, a customer or developer looks, everything that they need to go and build their end user system uh, mm -hmm. is there, right? And it's there in a way where they can design and build the software once, uh, and then have, you know, sort of the deployment and scaling and management of that done much more dynamically. Um, so there's a part there when we looked, TOTA and ADOT, as I look, is, I believe, to solve a lot of these very big problems around ownership, trade, democratization of the markets, you know, more transparency and authenticity mm -hmm. is absolutely necessary. But it's not sufficient on its own. It has to be bundled as part of a bigger thing. 
to allow people to easily build solutions. Um, yeah. So a bunch of reasons there, but it all kind of and, pointed the arrow towards the OpenShift product. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I, I guess maybe I'll just close off from my side with this thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the pre-Toto world, uh, assets are always stuck inside the system that they were created in. They're, they're bound into it. They're trapped inside there. Toto frees those assets. We talked about how this gives superpowers to asset creators, but what about the systems themselves? How how are they impacted by this? Well, right now, systems are competing on on two different fronts. One is on the features that they offer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other is on the assets that have already been created and trapped inside that system. So the the network effects, if you will. Mm -hmm. What Toda does by allowing assets to retain their integrity even when they move into other systems is to allow systems to compete purely based on their features and functionalities. And so, you know, if you if you kind of explore the ultimate implications to that, um, it seems to indicate that those who are designing systems that have good features and good functionality and, and good fundamentals uh, ultimately are going to be the ones who have systems that are valuable in the long run. Yeah. yeah. So this is all great stuff, guys. Um, I, I need to like sit in a dark room quietly and just, just reflect on our conversation here. But um, we, we name dropped a lot of things. Uh, and then as far as, uh, you know, we're going to put all them in the show notes. But uh, but uh, Hassan, if people were to uh, look up the show notes, where what website would you send them to? Uh, definitely they should go to, uh, dgshow.org. Um, okay. I went there and I actually, uh, prepared for this interview by, uh, listening to a few of the other, um, very fine, uh, interviews. I think you've got over 200 of them, uh, yeah. that you've done, uh, over the last years on, on all kinds of topics. Um, so the mix is diverse and deep, uh, it's eclectic. There's something there for everybody. So dgshow.org. Awesome. Well, Hassan, Dan. Thank you guys for joining us and we'll catch everybody next time. Yeah. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. Have an excellent weekend.